Hey, faithful listener, welcome to season six of the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's discussion from the book of Acts. Hello, faithful listeners. This is Jen with the Bible Explained podcast. I am so saddened to see what is happening in the news right now with Israel and just the uh, absolute massacre that happened over there and continues to happen even now. So I encourage everybody listening in to this podcast to please pray for Israel because they have been under attack since basically the dawn of their existence. Unfortunately, yesterday I didn't talk about it because I actually recorded that episode um, Friday morning before the attacks happened. But I am just very sad to see what happened over in Israel. I mean, we've been reading in the book of Judges how Israel was constantly harassed as being, quote unquote, colonizers. In fact, we just talked about that on um, like last week. We talked about one of the judges, Jephthah, who was called a colonizer way back in his day. And he lived thousands of years before Jesus was even born. So Israel has always been accused of colonizing when God himself was the one who actually gave the land to the Israelites and continued to give the land to the Israelites in 1945. Okay, I am done with my rant there because, man, this boils my blood. It boils my blood. And today we're going to talk about Acts chapter 9, verses 22 through 31. I'll be reading out of W.E.B. as I usually do, but please feel free to grab the version of the Bible that you prefer and also your cup of coffee or your cup of tea this morning. I have my coffee right here with me. It's a, actually, it's a little burnt. I might have to get another cup before we <laughs> before we begin reading because I have this like little, um, I have this little heating pad that heats up my coffee like on my desk. And after a while though, it just, it becomes burned. It just tastes like burnt. So I'm going to go get another cup, cup of coffee before I begin the podcast here. But also feel free to pause the podcast also while you grab your cup of coffee or your cup of tea. But let's go ahead and read once again, Acts chapter 9, verses 22 through 31. But Saul increased more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived at Damascus, proving that this is the Christ. When many days were fulfilled, the Jews conspired together to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They watched the gates both day and night that they might kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall, lowering him in a basket. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the way and that he had spoken to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. He was with them entering into Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. He spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. When the brothers knew it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the assemblies throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were built up. They were multiplied, walking in fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. A little bit more of the story is actually mentioned in Galatians chapter one. So I'm going to go over there real quick and read it. And this is out of the NLT version. And I'm going to start in verse 15 and end at verse 24. It says, and this is Paul speaking, by the way, Paul says, but before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace 
Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. So that's talking about Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus when he became blind after seeing Jesus. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia and later returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Sicilia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. So that's telling a little bit more of of Paul's story. Paul himself is penning that, saying what happened after he was converted to Christianity, after he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. It says that he stayed in Damascus for a little while and actually three years ended up passing. Then he went over to Jerusalem. But the, the reason Paul is mentioning all of this, I should mention, is that he's trying to show the people reading this that He's not out for earthly gain. Because if you notice, he mentions twice that he did not go to consult other disciples. He did not go to try to win over the apostles in Jerusalem. In fact, he didn't even meet Peter and the other apostles until years after he converted. And the reason Paul did this was because his mission was Jesus, not for popularity, not for fame. But it should also be mentioned that the reason Paul didn't go to Jerusalem immediately to go consult Peter and the other apostles was because Paul himself didn't need guidance from any other apostle. He had everything he needed, a relationship with Jesus and the scriptures, because Paul was very knowledgeable in the scriptures. He, he knew them basically inside and out because he was a Pharisee and he was able to see most likely how Jesus was reflected in the Old Testament. He was able to see the prophecies of Jesus. And so that brings us back to Acts chapter 9, where it says in verse 22 of what we read today, Saul increased more in strength. So that means that for three years, as Saul is in Damascus, He's increasing in strength. And I don't think this means physical strength, but rather knowledge of the scriptures and understanding of who Jesus truly is and understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. So Saul was increasing in this knowledge, in this strength and in the Holy Spirit through Jesus. And moving on, it says he confounded the Jews who lived at Damascus, proving that this is the Christ. So he's arguing with the Jews in Damascus, saying, no, you don't understand. Jesus is the Christ. And not only was he arguing for Jesus, but he was actually proving to them that Jesus was the Christ or the Messiah. And that means that Paul, as he grew in knowledge of the Old Testament and knowledge of Jesus, He was proving through the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus, in fact, was the Messiah. And that's actually something that still makes many Jews to this day convert to Christianity is when they read the Old Testament and they understand that the Old Testament prophecies were all, every single one of them, were fulfilled by Jesus. He was the only man 
in history to ever fulfill all of the Old Testament prophecies. And there's something like 300 and something prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. And Jesus fulfilled every single one of those prophecies. And so I'm, I'm sure Saul is proving that to these Jews who are living in Damascus. So it says, when many days were fulfilled, that means uh, three years from what we find out in Galatians chapter one, it says the Jews conspired together to kill him. So that means that Saul is getting some pushback from the Jews in the area of Damascus, and they are ready to kill Saul because Saul is proclaiming Jesus to them. And not only is he proclaiming Jesus to the Pharisees and the elders in Damascus, but I'm sure he's also preaching at the synagogues as well. And other people are listening to Saul as well and starting to believe the message of Jesus, starting to believe the gospel. But their plot to kill Saul became known to Saul is what it, ver it says in verse 24. They watched the gates both day and night that they might kill him. So obviously the gates to the city, and it looks like Damascus was surrounded by a wall. And it's possible that there were homes inside this wall, similar to what Jericho had, or it could be that people could climb the top of the wall. I don't know. But Damascus, it looks like, was surrounded by a wall and there was gates to get in and out of the city. And so these Jews are standing by the gates waiting to kill Saul the second he enters out of those gates to go his way. So this plot becomes known to Saul and the disciples in Damascus end up lowering Saul in a basket off of the wall to get past the gates. <laughs> Can you just imagine being like lowered in a basket off of a wall? It's not a it's not a pretty picture honestly. It is kind of embarrassing in some aspects. It's a little bit humble like being lowered in a basket a grown man fitting in this basket. I wonder if they had to like reinforce that basket to make Paul not like rip through the bottom of it or something. Anyway, they lowered him down in a basket and uh, he went his way and was saved from the Jews. So it says here, Saul ends up going to Jerusalem after that. And he tried to join himself to the disciples. So finally, after three years, Saul is like, you know what? It's time for me to meet the apostles and the disciples who are in Jerusalem. And this kind of makes me wonder, once again, do you remember how I, I told you guys a few weeks back that I was kind of wondering why the 12 disciples didn't leave Jerusalem? They're still there. <laughs> they never really did follow the Great Commission exactly. They, they stayed in Jerusalem the whole time, even though Jesus said, after the Holy Spirit comes to Jerusalem, then go out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But the disciples are still in Jerusalem. They never really did a lot of traveling around. Now, Peter did do some. In fact, I went to go see the Creation Museum a couple years ago. It's really nice. It's, it's amazing. And there was actually a, a map of all the places that the disciples had visited. <laughs> there was like a map of where Jesus had visited. And like that was kind of small, you know, because Jesus mainly traveled to only Jewish regions. Peter's map was a little bit bigger. He traveled to some places outside of uh, Jerusalem and some places outside of Israel. And then Paul's map, though, on the other hand, 
was everywhere. He went everywhere he could go. <laughs> it was so funny. He was like up in Europe. He was back down in Israel. He was like down in, uh, you know, he was over in like Turkey. And man, he just went everywhere he could possibly go. Like that was Paul's big thing. He was the evangelist. And um, it's kind of interesting how the disciples, the original 12 disciples weren't really the evangelists, but Paul, the converted um, Christian hater, or initially who was converted into Christianity, ended up being the one who really spread the gospel to every single creature. But anyway, Paul is now in Jerusalem, and he's trying to get in contact with the apostles there, but they're scared of him, even after three years. Even after three years later, they're still afraid of him. And I can understand that. I can truly understand because they're still in Jerusalem. They still remember the horrific things that Saul had done in Jerusalem only three years prior to this. Of course they remember it. And I'm sure some of the Christians still lived in Jerusalem that had to deal with some of the horror that Saul had caused in Jerusalem. So they're... they're still kind of not believing that Saul was a disciple now. They weren't really believing it. But a man named Barnabas, who becomes kind of like Paul's second in command, ends up kind of like taking Paul under his wing. Like he believed Paul's story. And Barnabas, it looks like he had connections with the 12 disciples. So he takes Paul to go and meet a couple of the apostles. But we see in Galatians 1 that Paul only saw, only met Peter and James during this visit. So he didn't even meet all of the all the disciples. And after he ends up meeting Peter in Galatians 1, he ends up staying with Peter for about two weeks. 15 days is what it says. So finally, the disciples in Jerusalem accept Saul as one of their own. And I'm sure that this would be very difficult to do because imagine the amount of forgiveness that the early church in Jerusalem would have to have to accept Saul in in their midst. You know, that would be like if somebody was trying to kill off your family just because you were a Christian. Like right now, imagine if somebody was truly trying to just wreak havoc on you and on your family and on your church and on your community for the sole reason that you were Christians, but then later converting to Christianity, being gone for a few years and coming back. How would you feel about that if that same person was one of the ones that had possibly killed or helped kill one of your family members? It, it took a lot of forgiveness for the church to accept Paul back, and that would take a lot of forgiveness. That would be horrific. That would be so hard to do if someone had done that to you or your family. I mean, I can't even imagine. But the church did forgive Saul and they accepted him in. It says that after Barnabas took him under his wing, he told the members of the, the Jerusalem church, he said, look, Saul did amazing things in Damascus and he was preaching boldly the name of Jesus this entire time. And that's what helps the disciples in Jerusalem to um, to forgive Saul. So it says that he, Saul, in verse 28 of Acts chapter 9, 
that he was entering into Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. So three years prior to this, he is trying to kill anybody that mentions the name of the Lord Jesus and now is preaching literally boldly to the people in Jerusalem, the name of the Lord Jesus. So you can imagine the confusion, I'm sure, that some of the people in Jerusalem had had um, with that. And it says that he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Now, the Hellenists, I think we mentioned them once before. They were, um, in some ways, part of the early church, some of them. They were Jews that had adopted Greek culture. And so they were called the Hellenists. And they were mentioned once before, actually, in Acts chapter 6. Because the Hellenists ended up becoming part of the early church as well. At least some of them did. And they became angry. This was right before the the martyr murdering of Stephen. The Hellenists became angry because they thought that their widows were not receiving a fair portion of food from the church. So the Hellenists and the traditional Jews started fighting within the the church. Even though they were all Christians, they started fighting because of the widow ministry. And that's when Stephen ended up becoming one of the uh, heads of the widow ministry. And then after that, he did end up becoming martyred. So we see the Hellenists pop up a handful of times, and this is the second time here. Uh, it says that Paul spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. So I do not know whether or not these Hellenists were part of the early church or not. Um, from my understanding, it does not seem like they were the ones here that wanted to kill Paul. It seems like these were Hellenists that were Jews and held to Judaism. They were seeking to kill Paul because of Paul's message. Um, perhaps they were part of the early church, but it does seem like because everybody kind of regarded the disciples as um, their leaders, and if the disciples would accept Saul, I imagine the entire church would have accepted Saul as well. So that's kind of why I think that the Hellenists mentioned here were not part of the early church, but were a part of Judaism. So it says that they're seeking to kill Saul once again, and the brothers found out about it. So yeah, there, there we go. They're not mentioned as part of the brothers. So the brothers found out about it. They brought Saul down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So Saul's ministry actually took kind of a pause there because he was sent back to Tarsus, and Paul was actually from Tarsus. Saul, going back to his homeland, might have been kind of nice for him because I'm sure he did have family members there. We know that Saul did have family members because a couple of his family members are mentioned in um, in the scriptures, actually. So he goes back to Tarsus to escape the persecution of the Hellenists in Jerusalem. And so Saul's ministry took a little bit of a pause. From my understanding, he didn't travel around much after going to Tarsus for several years. I'm sure he still preached the gospel in Tarsus, potentially. But um, after this, it says Saul goes back to Tarsus and the assemblies throughout all of Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were built up. They are multiplied walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's a beautiful place to end. It almost sounds like the ending of like a good story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the ending of a book. Because if you think about it, they had just received tons of persecution from Saul and now they're edified. They're built up because Saul is now one of them. So you can imagine they are a little bit unified and, and excited about this new development that took place that anybody truly can become a Christian and can convert to Christianity. 
So we should be praying across the globe for our leaders, for our family members, for our enemies. It says in scripture that we pray for our enemies and we pray for peace. Here, look at this in verse 31. The assemblies throughout all of Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and they were built up. They were multiplied walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They had peace. And it wasn't because they were free from persecutions, actually far from it. I'm sure I'm sure that the Sadducees and the elders and the Pharisees were still very much after the Christians to persecute them. It didn't just magically go away. But somehow these churches still had this amazing peace. And that's because they saw the impossible become possible. Saul, a man who persecuted and hated the church, just became one of them. So it's not impossible for God to reach people. And peace is certainly not impossible, especially the peace that God gives us. It says that he gives us a lasting peace, like a, a peace that is beyond understanding. And that means that peace, just like these early church members, can be possible during the midst of intense persecution. Imagine just having no fear throughout life, no phobias, just complete peace. Even when something terrible is, is happening to you, you would think that that is absolutely impossible the way the world is right now, but it's not impossible. And the church here was showing that that is not impossible and it is not impossible. We can have that peace. That's one of the, the gifts that God gives us. When we pray for that peace, God will give us that peace through the Holy Spirit. It says they were multiplied, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the great comforter. So pray for peace around the world, not just world peace, but true peace that Christians can have access to. No more anxiety, no more fear. Pray for the peace that the early church experienced, that even though they went through persecutions and sufferings, they were able to experience this wonderful and lasting peace. And just pray in general for, once again, world leaders to turn to the truth and other people around the globe to turn to the truth because God truly can and he does do amazing things through our prayers. Friends and faithful listeners, fall is here and Advent is around the corner. That's why you need to check out Adore, the Teen Girl's Guide to Advent. It is actually, in my opinion, the best thing I have ever written. <laughs> out of all the things I've written, even the, the thing I have on version right now, the Out of the Mire, I truly think that Adore is the best thing that I've written, and it's the Teen Girl's Guide to Advent. So if you know a teen girl who needs to understand more about the Advent holiday, because a lot of people don't know what it is. A lot of people don't understand Advent, how it's a Christian holiday, and why it's such an important Christian holiday to celebrate. A lot of people don't get it. So that's why I wrote Adore, the Teen Girl's Guide to Advent. So check that out. That is linked in the description of this podcast episode, as well as everything else that I have going on there, including the devotional I have on version, the uh, other books that I've written, the t-shirt shop. Check all that stuff out, and those are great ways to support this ministry. Friends and faithful listeners, have a fantastic rest of your day. Happy listening, and God bless. Thank you.